Titan was like most planets. Too many mouths, not enough to go around. And when we faced extinction, I offered a solution. Genocide. But random, dispassionate, fair to rich and poor alike. They called me a madman. And what I predicted came to pass. With all six stones, I could simply snap my fingers. They would all cease to exist, and I call that... Mercy. And then what? I finally rest. And watch the sunrise on a grateful universe. The hardest choices require the strongest wills. Welcome to the intersection of faith and fear, where we discuss each week what scares us in order to find what saves us. This is the Fear of God podcast. This year, we began a new episode format, similar to our Quarterly King episodes like Dr. Sleep, which was just released, titled B-Sides, like your LPs and cassettes of old. B-Sides represent off-format topics that aren't part of our normal flavor of coverage, but have us so excited, we just have to share them with you. And today is most certainly one of those days. I am one of your hosts, Nathan Rouse. And typically with me is fellow co-host Reed Lackey. But I told Friday she had to get him home. That said, we do have a guest today. A frequent foggy friend most previously featured on our Dr. Sleep conversation. Yes, it is the James Buchanan Barnes to my first Avenger, the Bucky to my star-spangled man with the plan, the Winter Soldier to my Sentinel of Liberty, the White Wolf to my Captain America. Wherever he goes, he takes all the stupid with him. Ladies and gentlemen, <laughs> I could do this all day. It is Ian Olsen. Ian, welcome, my friend. Welcome, <sighs> brother. I, it is great to be aboard once yeah, again. Yeah, yeah. I'm, <laughs> I'm glad to see you. You're just on Dr. Sleep. Here you are checking out the gloves. You like that? You like that? I, I'm, I'm, if I was a different character, I would be green with envy. <laughs> All right. Well, Ian, before we uh, crash this ship into Titan, I want to do two things. One, <laughs> I want to tell you listeners uh, to wash your hands, wear a mask, and keep a safe six feet, six foot distance from the children of Thanos. But also, you can find the Fog Pod wherever you get your podcasts and your official source for all things foggy. All things foggy, that is, except the foggy of Nelson and Murdoch attorneys at law at our website, <laughs> thefearofgodpodcast.com. And while here at the fear of God, we don't trade lives. We do trade this podcast full of all the value we hope you find in it for hopefully a five-star rating or review. 
which you can do by clicking the link on this blog post or go directly to iTunes. And two, I know we tend to explore and not explain, but covering a two-year-old movie feels like it begs a little explainer. We'll unpack the bigger version of why we're doing this later in the show, but the smaller version of why are you covering Infinity War is mainly we've wanted to check in with the MCU for some time, and with theaters throughout the globe shut down, it felt like a good moment to tackle one of the MCU's biggest offerings as a starting point. And in case you're wondering, for reasons that will be a little clearer by episode's end, we will not be addressing the events or content of Avengers Endgame in this conversation. Uh, Mr. Nathan? Uh you sh- you should not be here. Uh, well, I, well, I was going to go home, but I, I don't uh, want to hear it. But, well, no, but it was it was such a long wait until the next recording, and I I, I just thought about what I was missing out on, and, and now I got to hear it. Well, well, you're the one who made such a good case for covering this movie. I mean, so it's I mean, it's kind of your fault that I'm here. What did you just say? Uh, I do not take that back, and now I'm here. So. Yeah, right where you told me you weren't sure you'd be here, but nonetheless, here you are. Well. Here goes, Foggers. It's the kid from Queens, your friendly neighborhood lackey. It is Reed. Reed. We just had him on Dr. Sleep. Ian is here. Uh, some call me Ethan. Oh, oh, we're using our, our made-up names. Okay, well, uh, I'm Dr. Reedenstein. <laughs> and scene. That was beautiful. That was beautiful. Oh. All right. Hey, boys. Hi. All right. Before we get started. Does anyone want to get out? Oh. <laughs> no? Then let's talk comic books. Huh? <laughs> yeah. Huh? Oh, so, I fellas, I thought I a it. good inroad to this. God, I can't believe how nerdy I am. Anyway, <laughs> nerdy you are. I've, Look, listen. <laughs> we've got so, we've got this whole collection. Like yeah, every, yeah, yeah. The, An, you assortment. Know, An assortment. Uh, so, so, fellas, um, I thought a good starting point into this conversation about... Marvel's Avengers colon Infinity War um, would be Ian like you and I did on Star Wars to just kind of unpack uh, a little history with the source mm-hmm. medium, um, if any. Maybe it's a long history. Maybe it began with the MCU. Um, Ian, I want as our guest, if you would be so kind, for you to go first. Oh uh, yeah. What do you? What do you? What What is your? What is your history with the comic book medium? Um. So it it uh, in a way that like it it kind of is comical. To me, it kind of mirrors what's happening with this episode of uh, the Fear of God, um, going from like horror to now like we're talking superheroes. My inroad into comics was um, I got really interested in horror and Edgar Allan Poe when I was really young, and I discovered this thing called Tales from the Crypt existed, and then I found out the Vault of Horror existed and the Haunt of Fear wow. existed, and I was like just um, enamored with it. And I did more research. I went into, you know, local comic shops uh, and um, I found reprints of those. Um, I Then I found um, Creepy and Eerie, uh, the stuff that came, you know, after the Comics Code um, uh, steamrolled in and just flattened all the classic, you know, 40s and 50s um, horror comics. And from there just found, you know, like DC's uh, 70s stuff like uh, House of Secrets, The Unexpected, Witching Hour, Ghosts. And, um, wow. that just kept, That's, I've never <laughs> talked to anybody. Like I've been a comic, spoiler alert. I've been a comic fan for like almost 30 years now. And I don't know that I've ever met someone whose inroad was what you're describing. This is really cool. And, and it just got more convoluted from there. Like I, I got into like vertigo stuff from the sure. DC horror stuff. And then from there, um, just finding out because 
because like genealogy and where stuff comes from is so important to me. I'm like, oh, these are a lot of these are golden age characters. Interesting. So I started looking into that, which led into in this weird direction, you know, like Frank Miller, like, um, you know, Dark Knight Returns, Watchmen. And then that just opened up like because because the first superheroes sounded silly to me. Um, But but I don't know the way it sounds right for you. (laughs) (laughs) So I condemned it and all who read it. (laughs) Um, But I the way that Miller and Moore and like Grant Morrison, um, you know, handled these storylines and characters. Then I went out on a whim and I tried out, you know, like uh, more contemporary DC um, stuff and Marvel. And what really the linchpin for me was like Chris, Chris Claremont and John Burns run on uncanny X-Men. And yeah. I just, I just, I gobbled that stuff up, man. And um, then from there, I just wanted to know everything and um, just began reading lots and lots of comics. <laughs> it's, I don't know if you've read anything like current, but it's amazing. And I'll get to this, but I'm pretty familiar with the Claremont era and what in a 2020 comic book takes five minutes, mm-hmm. six minutes to read mm-hmm. was what a 20 minute, 30 minute investment oh. because Claremont is the wordiest oh, writer yeah. in comics history. Yep. Yep. And it's, it really, when I'm reading like the dark Phoenix saga in third grade, I am just like considering things sure. that my peers are not when, when, <laughs> when age of apocalypse is like across oh, God, all, all the mutant titles when I'm in fourth grade, sure. that affects my OCD to where I'm now worried about counterfactuals and like, Oh, what if there's an alternate timeline where this doesn't like it, it really messed me up for a long, a long time in ways that I'm only now coming to grips with. So yeah. I'm, that's wonderful to hear. <laughs> Riri, what about you, brother? I think in general, I have always had, among most of my peers, a reputation for being a bigger comic book reader than I ever actually was. Um, <laughs> truth, truth be told, I, for mostly economic reasons, whenever I would find comic books, they would be usually at like a flea market or something like that. So I, w- so I would collect them, but I never had growing up the experience of okay. New titles coming out. I'm I'm going to the comic store. I'm going to be picking up the next installment of this sort of serial storyline. So I can't recall, honestly, anything ever coming out that I was able to follow to that degree of consistency. Um, again, I would, whenever we would go through like a flea market or a garage sale or something like that, uh, and there would be a box of random comics over there, I would, you know, scour through it and take home, oh, 20 for a dollar or whatever the big deal was, and then I would just devour those. So as it was, most of my connection to comic book characters did pretty consistently come through films. Mm-hmm. So, uh, I, like, I learned about Superman more from Christopher Reeve's films than I, well, you know, all he didn't direct him, but, you know, from his yeah. rendition of Superman than I ever did from the Superman comic books. Likewise, Tim Burton's Batman, uh, even the Batman uh, 60s campy TV show, those, those kinds of things were more my inroad than the actual source material itself. It wasn't until... I became uh, a, a teenager uh, that I began to more go back into the back catalog, read things that I picked up the trades from the library or mm-hmm. um, which I still do when there's a big story. And I'm like, oh, I've never I've never caught up with that. Let me go like uh, in preparation for Captain Marvel's run. 
one. I, I grabbed a couple of um, popular arcs that the internet said, like, oh, these are the story, these are the Captain Marvel stories to read. So I went and picked those up and read them. That's more my engagement uh, at this time and historically has been that. Is it's usually movies which prompt and drive me to go and seek out the comic books than just interest in comics themselves. That's awesome. I um, I don't know. We we had family friends growing up who I've got an older brother. It was a pair of brothers um, that they were kind of into comics, but you know, honestly, like nobody in my family, um, you know, like, like I was the, the, the kid who read comics. I just was, and I don't know if it's middle child syndrome. I don't know if it was my Enneagram four need to be different. I don't know what it is, but I just gravitated towards that kind of wild storytelling. And my, um, it's funny. I was thinking about this today and I think, I think the very first comic I remember owning was an adaptation of Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles Two: the secret of the ooze. Right? Ooh, yeah. But, <clears throat> yeah. Yeah. Way back ice, vanilla ice. Yes. Um, but, but that didn't begin kind of serious paying attention to it. That was in fourth grade. Wow. I vividly we recall old. that now. People, uh, Fear God listeners are like, Nathan can't remember anything, but he remembers in fourth grade, he had an Ninja Turtles comic book. Um, so there was that one. And uh, there's two issues that are concurrent to each other. Um, one is that I owned, and it's only because I remember the cover, uh, is Amazing Spider-Man number 348, which is dated. I looked this up today, June 91. Um, the cover was by Eric Larson. Uh, who would go on to help create Image Comics, which 25 or however many years later uh, birthed Walking Dead. Um, but, I, you know, honestly, I never was a huge um, Spider-Man fan. Not I, I was not anti-Spider-Man, but my inroad and what got me serious about comics, which does bespeak to this middle child need to be different thing, was the X-Men. And mm. X-Men number one... Uh, circa 91 by Jim Lee and Chris Claremont um, is, and, and any comic nerds know that is like a seminal comic book in the history of the medium, like not just in X-Men. I mean, it, it smashed, you know, kind of uh, uh, money made for Marvel at the time and uh, was just, was where I, the, the moment I sort of pinpoint as starting my comics reading um, which was concurrent, and I don't know if this rings a bell for you, Uncanny X-Men 281, which is the Fitzroy Bishop oh. storyline. <laughs> yes, yes. Yeah, so those those came out roughly the same time. And so X-Men 1 comes out. I start reading that monthly. My mother would comment to me in high school that, you know, asking me was I going to wear comic books to school because I did not spend my money on anything else. Mm -hmm. You know, things like clothing. Um, Stupid. But, you know. What? Do what? <laughs> That's stupid. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Close. Of course, I'll wear comics to school, mom. It's cool now. <laughs> um, but so, so that started really seriously paying attention to the medium. Um, collected pretty seriously, which is hilarious. You know, like anyone who knows the history of this medium will know. Uh, you start collecting comics in the '90s; they're worth garbage, right? Like they're nothing. Uh, read. I was about to call you Spider Man. Uh, read. You mentioned uh, Superman. That's also the era of the death of Superman. Death of Superman. And yep. yes. which people bought like 
I, like I don't even have an example. I'm, <laughs> yeah, you know, it's just Steel absurd forever. amount of things. But oh man, this is gonna pay for my kid's college. Right, no, right. like right. that's worth no. a nickel right now. If that, yeah, like oh yeah, it's yeah, yeah. that yeah. bad. Um, but nonetheless, uh, I was I was always an X Men fan, and in fact, it wasn't until probably pre MCU era, circa that time that. I actually started paying attention to the Avengers in a real way. Mm -hmm. um, I mean, like X-Men was my gold standard uh, for what I read and consumed yeah, yeah. from a comic book standpoint. So like, I'm, I'm pretty unfamiliar with probably about 40 years of Avenger stories. I'm aware of them and kind of know the names, but mm. um, you know, up until 10, 15 years ago, I wouldn't be able to speak much to them. That's that's fine. So I do want on the spirit of that though, and this is gonna this is gonna turn the dial for us into this bigger conversation. Um, had either of you previous to MCU read uh, the Infinity Gauntlet? Were you familiar with the yes. story previous to the MCU? Yes, yes. It was it was one of those that I had picked up from the library as just a oh I'm this is a big major story. Uh, it was on the shelf as I was browsing it. And so I was like, oh, I, I know that this gets talked about a lot. So let me take this home and read it. And so I had encountered that uh, before even the first Iron Man came out. That's awesome. And Ian, you were yeah. versed in that one? Yep, yep. I read that back in like uh, 90, 95, something like that. Yeah. As part of my just overall like, yes, I've discovered a thing and now I have to exhaustively know about it, you know? Well, and that's such a, if, you know, listeners, if, if you're interested in any of this comic stuff, you know, hit us up on the socials uh, for references or whatever. But that story, it's very dated now, uh, decisively so, but um, is just a signature work of Marvel's canon. Yep. Uh, mm -hmm. And in fact, when the first Joss Whedon Avengers film released and that tag shows up on the end i was gobsmacked oh it's yeah like, i cannot believe they are actually attempting this because because mm -hmm. again if you know the lore you know you show thanos and you're going for the gauntlet. right like, that, that's, right. that's, that's, that's the, the only trajectory yeah 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 and um at this point marvel publishing has kind of beaten the 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 gems ethos or, or kind of elements into the ground it's 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 absurd it's like yeah okay really okay whatever stones or gems gamora's got okay whatever infinity this infinity that um but it no that's, goes on forever yeah yeah that's a lot of fun so reed while you were off uh revealing your identity to the public um i was sharing with listeners and with ian that uh which i love the idea that listeners are like, why does they call him Ethan sometimes? Um, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> that, that's going to be a bonus episode one day. Just tell us why that happened. Uh, why we got a lot to figure out. Yeah, Ethan. we got a lot to get to. Uh, that's not for this. But that, that's that's like the editor's note. You're like, star, C issue. <laughs> um, but I was sharing how, you know, we're here to talk about Infinity War. We're going to have a lot of fun with that. But but ultimately, there's a bigger why at work. Um, but I as we were figuring out some inroads to discuss here while keeping Endgame at bay, which we are definitively going to do, um, I thought it'd be fun to ask us, <laughs> as the idiot wearing what he's wearing, uh, to list our top two MCU characters. Uh, 
Um, I'm going to give an honorable mention and then I'm going to throw it to Reed. Um, I actually considered making this one of my top two, but I was like, ah, that's, that's okay. Um, Michael Pena as Luis. In <laughs> so great. The yes, Ant-Man he's... movies. He's so wonderful. He's amazing. So he's amazing. Like, yeah. What yeah, yeah. a gift he is to those films. Mm-hmm. They they are good movies. I like them. Um, and they're fun. And Rudd is great. Um, and I actually like a lot of the effects of you know kind of the the bigness and smallness and all that sort of stuff. But yeah. um, they are lesser films without his presence in them. Mm-hmm. I, th- I mm-hmm. think. Yeah. Oh yeah. I, I completely I, I agree. Totally agree. Um, Reed, what is your number two? <laughs> okay, so. It is it, it is kind of appropriate that uh, these these guys duke it out. I am going to cheat. I'm okay. going to cheat, and uh, um. because I I could not decide <laughs> which of these two to land at number two. I feel like I love them. So is it for a tie, reasons. or is one an honorable mention and one's a two? No, it's it's a tie. It's okay. a straight up tie. They they are. I I wrestled with this for hours. I love just this is just the way we are, and so it's totally fine, and I love it. Like, hey, name your top X amount of things. Okay, well, I'm going to plan for X with a parentheses of two or three, okay? Yes, exactly, <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. So, um, so no, tied at second place are Bruce Banner slash the Hulk and Thor. Mm, um, and those, And because I could not decide between the two of them, which of them to give that number two spot. I love them for different reasons. If we're going with the first Avengers film, Hulk would probably win out uh, if we're going with some of the later entries, particularly Ragnarok. Thor's going to win out, and so like since they had this sort of friendly rivalry throughout the MCU, I was like, okay, I'm just going to let them tie at number two. That's that's them for me. So they're tied at number two. Thor like smoldering fire, Hulk like <laughs> raging fire. <laughs> they're the same. They're the same, man. <laughs> oh, it's great. That it's great. Movie is so uh, good. Well, and and you know we can feel free to to kind of. Uh, unpack some of these as as we want i'm an edward norton fan i'm an edward norton hulk fan like i think that movie's decent i think his performance is strong i think he's great casting for that role but i love mark ruffalo and i have loved mark ruffalo for a very long time and so when he got announced as the new banner i was like i can live with that i am totally fine he's great He's wonderful. Yep. Yeah. And he took the character places that it needed to go that I don't think Edward Norton, Edward Norton's a very, he's an excellent actor, but it would have been a dramatically different interpretation of that character. And I think Ruffalo is what they needed to to take Hulk where they were taking him. That that film is the one MCU that my kids haven't watched now. And, you know, it's like, eh, oh, it's okay. Yeah. 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 I get it. I get um, it. And, and on your Thor note, I mean, Hemsworth's, reveal as what he's capable of in Ragnarok is just oh just wonderful amazing. It's yes amazing. no it's I did, absolutely wonderful I did rewatch uh with the kids recently one and two and uh, props to those who rib me for having previously spoken nay over it um I say the nay uh Dark World <laughs> you know it's fine it's okay sure sure it's, it's fine they're all watchable I mean, like, let's be honest, like all, all of them, all of them. I could are turn like, you on and watch and then turn it off like that. They, they exist as a thing that I could sit through. Like we're just, <laughs> your, your, your steam will be dissipated a bit, but they are watching. You can watch them. Yes, yes, yes. Right. Ian, what is your second place and or honorable mention and or second part two A and two B? 
<laughs> um, my 2A is uh, Beta Ray Bill, who we didn't see, but we did see his... Wait a minute. Yeah, that was in Ragnarok. We saw a yeah. statue of the head yes. of his species well, yes. in Ragnarok. So I'm going to count right. that Beta Ray Bill. Does it. So okay. technically, he's in the MCU. Yes. His, his countenance, sure. his visage appears... Yes. Uh, the horse face Thor. His third place is, is Howard the Duck, surprisingly enough. <laughs> <Yes. laughs> um, okay. Uh, my second spot is is Tony Stark. Um, nice. Because uh, he covers so much um, ground um, emotionally and uh, developmentally from Iron Man to Infinity War. And, and, and what I like is that it's not a straight shot. It's not just this steady mm. gradient of like, oh, he's not, you know, a, um, you know, capitalist scumbag anymore. It's he himself doesn't know best how to figure out how to be a better Tony Stark. And he, mm. he is stuck in his own hangups of, of, uh, finding solutions by all I know is how to make things. So I love that he is regularly his own worst enemy even as he's trying to make things right and uh, so i find his um i guess we could call it his arc but again like what i like about him is that it's not just this steady thing that starts here and ends here um he kind of um dissolves some of his own progress even as he's trying to continue to progress and uh in, in it all he is trying to do the right thing but uh it is his own handicap um mm. and, and 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 i just there's no one else that can pull it off except rdj i just he's utterly i utterly amazing. believe him every step of the way um, he's perfect yeah so that's i mean that's that's really it I, I he that that he can be haunted for 6 years by like i know what's coming and i've tried three different you know massive global protocols to try to fight it and I've been humbled, and yet I still think I know that I'm the best person for this job. And though I'm haunted by that, and though I've lost my lady and I've gotten her back, I can still come up with a sarcastic nickname for everyone within moments of meeting them. That's just like hard to pull off. Usually, either you're <laughs> you're either you're 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 I'm sad, or you're like I'm boastful and cynical, and I crack jokes, and it's just really difficult. To like be all of those things, um, like real people are, but he is. Well, mm. and yeah. RDJ's performance, who you know, pour a cold one out for, um, just his his inaugurating this MCU itself. Like what a what a wonderful just real life story as well. But right, yes, it's it's funny having watched, um similar to the Thors just watched Iron Man's one and uh, Iron Man's two and three um, mm. with the kids. And, and again, I don't love two very much, but it's fine. But his, his, I don't know that there are many performers like him who can deliver lines the way he can deliver them. Mm -hmm. um, the, the breathless quality, the, the uh, uh, sarcasm laced with sincerity, the just quick pitter patter of his, vocal delivery is just yeah, really yeah, yeah. magnificent to watch. Yes. <laughs> magnificent! Magnificent! <laughs> <laughs> um, so yes, yes. Iron Man, Tony. Now, let me ask you, as a comic fan, uh, 
did you mind spoiler alert, i did not and i loved it the mandarin pivot in three i love it i it's absolutely so love it it's and so like good. if you don't love it screw the haters like, I, I'm, I'm not gonna say you're dumb but there is an 80 <laughs> percent chance there's what there's an 80 percent chance you're dumb <laughs> <laughs> i had i had friday run the calculations Reed, going into Iron Man 3, did you, like, was that, uh, did you know much about the Mandarin character? Did you know what to expect? Was that? Nope, that a- was a complete, so I didn't feel it the same way that some of the people who really didn't like it. I was just like, oh, maybe the, okay, so this character is a fraud. Yeah, yeah. But it didn't, uh, it didn't register with me the same way it did for people who had encountered that character in the comics, in the real, for years. Right. Um, so, because, yeah. Because everyone was pining for her the the real version of mandarin like justice for mandarin 80 percent justice dumb. for mandarin yeah, yeah. um it's, i am so i've named my honorary mention honorable mention my second choice on this list um i was not a longtime reader uh but developed an affection during jonathan hickman's expansive avengers run that led up to secret wars and it is the king of wakanda prince t'challa mm-hmm. um mm-hmm. my gosh what a great execution yeah, of character. character. And this will be uh, possibly perceived as virtue signaling. I don't care. Um, I can't <laughs> describe what, for me, as I and listen, longtime listeners to the podcast have know a little bit about this journey, but the experience of once you've started to frame your brain as an, a mature adult human being in America to the tectonic aspects of how our culture engages itself um, to be a white man in a 80% African-American theater audience opening night of that movie was a magical experience. It really was. It was so powerful to get to just have the privilege to share in that experience. And Hmm. with Coogler and Bozeman, it was, and let's not forget Michael B. Jordan and everybody else involved, but like, it's a hell of a movie and yeah, yeah. the way yeah. they sort of backdoored him in via civil war is just so great. I just love the execution of that character. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. I am going to posit a theory and I do not know, but we will, we will see. I, I would predict possibly that all three of us write it down. Folks. That all three of us have perhaps the same number one. Whatever do you mean? <laughs> <laughs> and 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 where what, what? earlier when How Ian started talking, I made this weird little like tilt with my head because I was like, oh my god, I can't believe this is about to happen because I'm I'm watch I'm watching Nathan's outfit right here. What? Ian what? already mentioned. Ian already mentioned uh, old Tony Stark uh, Iron Man sitting right there. I was like, well, there's one other person that's sitting in front of him, and I'm like. I know who it's, my number one is. It's the Grand Namor. It's the Grand so, Master. No, Thunderbolt Ross, yeah. right? Thunderbolt Ross. There, yes, everybody? yes. <laughs> like, Even that's not William Hurt's favorite character. Love him. Underrated. <laughs> so, so I mean, I, I and and let if you all pick up where I'm going. I mean, is is this where we're headed? Are we're we here. all about to have the same we're number here, one man. right now? We're here. Is it number one? Why don't we just collectively say it on three? This is gonna be so fun. Why don't we say it on three? Ready? Ready? One. Two, three. Valkyrie. Captain America. <laughs> 1945 Human Torch. <laughs> Peggy Carter. <laughs> yes. Oh, uh, come on. The, come on. the Howling Commandos. It's, it's Captain. Cap. It's Cap. Yep. Yeah. Cap's the best. Cap's yep. the best. Man out of time. Nomad. 
What? Yeah. What, he's, Ian? The man out of time. Yeah, he's he's amazing. And I will say that I've always... So, Captain America, I mentioned earlier that I had read the Infinity Gauntlet. I remembered a lot of little things about it, but there was one moment prior to MCU ever starting that stayed with me from Infinity Gauntlet. Mm-hmm. And that one moment was... And I don't even remember the entire context of it, but in in that battle, Thanos has basically decimated everyone. And because Captain America, albeit a supercharged human being, was still ultimately sort of a low-level threat when you compare him to right. the fighting power of Thor or Hulk or whoever else. So Thanos had, up to that point, relatively left him alone. And Captain America is the lone one standing there. Yep. And yep. everybody else has been decimated. And I remember in that moment, he... And, and and this is from the Infinity Gauntlet comic book. Uh, I know they pivoted a version of this in Endgame, but um, he takes off the shield and he says, you have not won as long as one of us is standing. And then yes. marches right... He knows he's about to just get decimated, but marches right. right up to Thanos and stares him in the eye. And that moment stayed with me from the comic so much that I was already primed, even though not having read a ton of Captain America stories, I was already primed to just love this character. Chris Evans nails the Absolutely. spirit the tone he yeah he, it. he just he he captured it completely uh perfectly and 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 executes it in a way that is so endearing and is so inspiring and uh and and he's he, I, I there's so many things that i love about the mcu but none of them compare with how much i love captain america and his arc and his stories i oh, love them so you know, much yep fun fun story here so uh the children's theater of charlotte is a fantastic um, space for theater. They they produce pretty amazing work. I've I've worked off and on for them for fifteen years now. And goodness gracious, has it been that long? It basically has. And I have the memory. See, it's so. <laughs> what this remi- what this moment reminds me of is one time I made a lost reference, like a, a you know arcane bit of minutia, lost knowledge thing, and my wife this happened my wife was like i really hope you remember our family life stuff as well as you remember law stuff i don't i don't at all um similar to comic stuff so he didn't. i was in, yeah he, he didn't um uh uh i was in the children's at the children's theater in one of the dressing rooms like we're all friends here and so we can share things like this but like i remember getting the news that chris evans had gotten cast and having this pang of like even though geographically I was nowhere near, I did not have the pet, the history or anything relative to be able to audition for that role, but being slightly panged that someone had definitively gotten the role. Cause it meant yeah, it yeah. wasn't me, but yeah, right. <laughs> kudos, man. He has, he's killed it. He, he, oh, it's, perfect. it's, it's yeah. an amazing performance. That's really fascinating. Like RDJ to watch him just grow yes. with the role. And you know, I know I totally really cut you off, but uh, Reed, you mentioned the the comic moment in the Gauntlet series. I'll also point listeners to Ed Brubaker um, relaunched the Cap comic in the early aughts. And it's a really fantastic run. It's what features the Winter Soldier arc that would go on to be adapted into the film. But that's a great, if someone's looking for some Captain America stuff to read, um, listeners, if you know Cap stuff, reference it on the socials. But I think what's so amazing to me about the execution of cap in the MCU is that, that, that archetype is so hard to get right. Mm -hmm. Um, 
And because you it's just the straight man, right? Like, like you, they, they, they can't veer too far one way or the other. And so the risk you run is just a boring execution. Right. But they were able to handle it with such a deafness and Evan's performance brought such a nuance and he just becomes beautifully this kind of unwavering moral center of the whole Mm -hmm. enterprise. And it's, it's amazing to watch. And and that's take it away. That's what I want. That's what I want to emphasize with Evans's like performance is, um, we in our era are so used to our heroes having feet of clay. If there isn't some kind of like vice about them, we automatically think like, whatever, this is just a cardboard character. This is just the good guy. Um, we, we find them unbelievable. And Evans's Steve Rogers is, is like virtue in the flesh and it's it's but it's but he's not self-righteous in any way there's no fury of like um moral superiority that he has over anyone um although he doesn't stray to the left or to the right really we see him agonizing like okay so what is the right thing to do right now uh so it he doesn't always have a certainty over what it is and i think that that is the moral realism that he brings to it he's like we we really lucked out that scrawny Steve Rogers was the guy who got the super, super soldier serum because yeah. look what hap- look what happens when anyone else gets access to to power like this we really supremely lucked out that a genuinely good guy got it mm. who who at any any price to himself he is going to do what's right and it's yeah. not going to be easy but he yes he somehow um embodies it as um yeah I, I don't know that it's not it's not a cheap or easy decision it is going to cost but he is going to to pay what, what whatever the price is he's in he can do no else and um i can't think of a lot of people who yeah. can do that without yeah i don't know if without a feeling like like, like a smug puritan kind of right uh yeah. feel to it you know that's that's yeah. the gravitas that he well, brings to it and he, it's funny he so, uh, sorry, just oh, real quick. Yeah. He, he he bears believably the weight of nobility, the burden yeah. that it is to be noble and yep. to be, um, uh, like you said, to fight for what is right. And and Chris Evans, perhaps through the direction of those who have scattered through the MCU, or perhaps what he himself and his own sensibilities brings to the role, understood as you're saying, Ian, that it costs something. To yeah. carry that weight, um, yeah. that it is not easy and automatic. He can fathom the awful things that people can do, but actively continues to choose the right thing and the right path. And that, I think, is a harder choice. It's much harder to convey. Mm-hmm. And uh, he does well, an, a brilliant job of it. An, an asterisk, and then I want to come to that. But I've always been impressed for as much as some doesn't hold up, the execution visually of 90 pound steve rogers is is pretty good i remember the first time seeing it i was like i mean you know it kind of works and (laughs) so i'm 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 really impressed with that but both of you said some version of this but i remember reading um i think it was on uh, extras of Endgame, where you see interviews with some of the actors, but also just reading over the last 18 months, 
these actors being talked about and talked to. But I think part of what made Evans such a good choice is he agonized over even wanting to do it. Yeah. And versus what you would get with a lot of people, <laughs> I just told the dumb story is <laughs> it's like you, you, you bear the glory uh, as opposed to resisting it and holding it at arm's mm-hmm. reach. And it's almost like his just sort of mental psychology about the actor playing the character helped right. imbue right. the character with that same yeah. level of detachment, but honor. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, yep. I agree. Totally. That's really, that's really fascinating. Um, all right. That was fun. My man said yes. beta ray bill. <laughs> <laughs> um, listeners are going to be like wanting so badly for like broader MCU stuff. It's coming y'all one day. We don't, you don't, <laughs> you don't rush past the tragedy though. So it's run from um, it. It is coming. <laughs> so favorite characters we've talked about. Um, we are dialing in specifically on, uh, was it 2017 that Infinity War came out? No, it was a uh, year. Yeah. It was a year p- previous yeah. to Endgame, so it was 2018. Yeah. Um, so dialing in on 2018's Avengers: Infinity War, and uh, if you listen to the Fear of God much, you'll know we typically do kind of likes, dislikes, and scares relative to the horror film we're covering. In lieu of that, we're doing the character stuff, and what we thought would be fun is to just go uh, a top five from each of us. Um, on moments slash scenes slash however you want to interpret it uh, from the film itself. Um, who started with characters? Was that Ian? Uh, you kind of technically pivoted it to me because okay. you well, Ian, gave an honorable you, mention to this. That's right. Ian, why don't you start with your number five? Okay. Your, fi- your number five, however you interpret it, favorite scene, moment, line, what have you from Infinity oh. War. Yeah, my my number five uh, moment is um, Cap's arrival at the train station. Um, the, I actually the, I have that a little bit higher on my list. Okay, yep. So so can we talk about that in a in a little bit? Uh, that's, it's that's, it's slightly higher on my list. That's, that's so, the rule. Yeah. <laughs> 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 Listen, listeners and viewers don't know that. Like, uh, so so basically, we've got these five lists, but we knew there was going to be a little bit of crossover. Or a lot. So. <laughs> or a lot. So whenever somebody references theirs, if somebody else has it a little bit higher, we're just going to... I'll make sure to save you a spot to share your thoughts on it when we get there. <laughs> All right. So then he doesn't go to four. Then you go to your five? No. You, yeah, you what's go. about to happen is all of us are going to wait, wait, wait. We're just going to get confused. <laughs> so, um, so then, Nathan, you would give your number five. Okay. Uh, my number five is... I am Groot. I am Steve Rogers, um, but it's so emblematic that that's a fantastic moment. And, and also there's many like it, but to me, I chose it as how the franchise has always just landed the comedy. Like who mm-hmm. knew that the best approach for this whole enterprise would be, Hey, make sure the comedy lands and not just that the comedy lands, but that it is all character driven. Right. I mean, yeah. cap, I, the, why that moment is so fantastic is one we know I am Groot is everything. It, it means yes. everything and nothing yes. at the same time. So uh, only a handful of characters that we're familiar with in the MCU even know what Groot is actually saying there. 
But mm. you've got the consummate gentleman, Steve Rogers, being like, well, yes, it is time to exchange a moment of pleasantries in the heat of just crazy, chaotic battle. It's it's just so great. Um, and I, I just I love it. I love it. A lot. One thousand awesome. percent earnest in that moment. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Yo, yeah, yeah. He is like it's great. It, he is dialing in on you. That is a caring man. He's like you little guy. Oh, man. Um, All right, so then read. What's your five? Yeah, so my number five is a line that pivots into a moment. So uh, the line is, dude, you're embarrassing me in front of the wizards. And (laughs) so so that's the line. But really, my number five is the overall moment of immediately following that, him activating the nanobots, putting on his suit, and getting into the fight. Um, uh, What I love about that moment is because... Uh, we tend to forget, I tend to forget, that um, most other MCU films have an early on heroes moment. They have something early on where it's like a, a big supercharged moment for somebody to emerge. Infinity War opens tragically, and it opens with uh, the decimation of Asgard and with uh, you know all of the decimation that Thanos is transacting. That moment immediately following that hilarious line, you talk about them nailing the comedy, dude, you're embarrassing me in front of the wizards. That moment when Iron Man suits up is the first moment we get in Infinity War when it's like, okay, a hero has arrived on the scene. Banner couldn't do it, you know, like, and you could say, you could argue, it's like, well, yeah, but we have a Hulk came earlier than that, but yeah, we saw how that ended. That didn't, that 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 wasn't the same, you know, that was difficult. Whereas this is the moment and you feel it in the moment. You're like, oh, Iron Man's going to take care of business. Like I don't know, right. I don't know how this is going to go, but he is bringing right. the fight to these people, and and so that's the moment for me that my energy goes from being pushed down from the heaviness of it to rising up to be like, oh, okay, well now now we're going to get down to it. So I just love that. I love that it's comedy and and emboldening from that same point. Well, I'm going to use your moment as a hub to talk about the pieces around it, but I I. From a film craft standpoint, I love the build up to that moment. I mean, the sure, sure. you know, is your are you making your hair move? Uh, from that <laughs> through then, I mean, the quiet, the calm, the wind is blowing outside. There's no yeah. score, you know, orchestral score. Um, they wander outside. Chaos is beginning to happen. I love that whole little sequence there. It's great. Yeah, yeah, um, it's really, really great. Um, Ian, what about your uh, circling back around four. to you? Number four. Uh, Reed, were you getting a word in? Nope. I was going to oh, pivot okay. over to I, you. Yeah, I misunderstood. All right, great. Um, my number four uh, moment is um, the kind of like pastoral conversation that Rocket tries to have with Thor when they've taken <sighs> off on their side mission. And um, so there's the humor first because Rocket has, you know, positioned himself as the captain and, and he's not, right? And he's like, well, time to be the captain. But <laughs> what I really... What I really love about it is uh, the how Thor is haunted by all the loss that he's experienced the last yeah. three three yeah. movies, and just that the what he ends on, you know, what, what he says, you know, revenge, grief, you know, these are great motivators, that, you know. And Rocket <laughs> says, okay, yeah, but you know, what if what if you're what if you're wrong? And uh, the culminating moment is Thor saying, well, if I'm wrong, what more could I lose? He's he is mm. just he's utterly at the end of his rope, you know. Like, okay, the worst case yeah. scenario it has already happened. Like, if I die, that's not even worst case scenario because I have nothing at this point. 
Mm. Um, and we've seen Thor kind of animated by, uh, you know, like restoring things or, and we've seen funny Thor, but, um, beginning to see the Thor who knows, like, I wasn't there. I wasn't able to save my loved ones and who I'm responsible for. And that failure leaves me like my one purpose is to try to like, he knows he can't undo it, but all there there is left is to kill Thanos. And he's not even thinking about uh, the loss of his life. And I'm not trying to paint that as like, like the, a noble thing right there. It is just so um, the absolute um, is one of the lowest points we, we will see Thor at in the entire universe. Yeah. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. yeah just, well, just for him to speak, Speak, speak that way like uh you know th- yeah that's how i understood it as like the worst has already happened you know it, it, it's not right, the worst the right. worst isn't like that i die trying it it's like it's almost like the worst is i go on living and i don't get another shot at thanos yeah, well i think wow. one of the franchise's best sort of dark horse threads is the pathos of thor like, yes it's- definitely yeah, Once it starts to kind of materialize and take shape, it's it is a damn impressive bit of long form yep. storytelling. Yeah, yeah, couldn't agree more. Um, couldn't agree more. So that was Ian's four. Um, yep. I guess I'll What's do my four? four. So my four, surprising even myself. Dad, it. I had a I had an honorable mention here. Maybe I'll maybe we'll get to it. Uh, <laughs> maybe someone else will mention it. Um, what a what a wonderful moment! See this the, the the amount of gears that were just turning right there I was like, well, do you go to the honorable mention? Just use that as your four, or do you just go for the four? I mean, you love cap. Should you go to the honorable mention? No, I'm not. Um, so I'm going to stick with the four I've got and uh, go from there. So, what a great testimony to how well the Russos knew the machine they were working with, and how they would know what we wanted before we even did. And that is the moment of Groot providing the handle for Stormbreaker. Mm. Oh um, my gosh. Oh man. It's like you've, especially in this film, the last time you'd seen Groot was baby Groot, who's amazing, right? Sure. You, you yes. love baby Groot. Everybody loves baby Groot. Uh, so then you get to petulant teen Groot and you're like, Oh wow. I don't know how <laughs> I feel about this. Like it's funny, <laughs> but sure. Groot in Guardians 1, who sacri- mature Groot, who sacrifices himself in one of the most beautiful moments in the entire franchise. Um, yeah. And then Groot episode uh, Guardians 2, who's cute as a little button. Uh, <laughs> then you get like angsty, angry Groot. Like, okay, I don't, I don't know how I feel about this. But <laughs> which is what makes that moment so beautiful. Because even as a fan of the books, I wasn't thinking about that. You know, sure, that was such course, a yeah. great <laughs> moment. And is what we kind of need to really feel uh, when we finally lose Groot in this film. Like, yes, right. because yes, you've, you've turned right. around right. on his hero moment with the ax that yep. provides you with the energy you need to really yeah. kind of oh, feel his absolutely. Parting. So that is my number four. So uh, someone's going to mention my that. number. My number four is uh, probably not going to require a ton of discussion. I even argued about putting it on the list, but I couldn't deny that it was my number four. <laughs> and it is simply, it's, it's fine. It, you don't have to deny it. It, it is. It is simply this. I'm sure I'm invisible. <laughs> 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 because, <laughs> I mean, that uh. whole, 
I mean, is what a great character anyway. Like I love what they've done He's with Drax. So but but that whole bit, which in an otherwise very weighty film would have been the easy discarded throwaway, is yep. so <laughs> delightful. They hang so there delightful. so long. They do because he's amazing. like he he does the whole bit where he's like le- moving his hands up and he's like, <laughs> yeah. "I'm sure I'm invisible." And suddenly Manta comes in and hi tracks. Yeah, <laughs> yeah right. Yeah, <laughs> it's just, it's so great. Like, just, how long have you been pure, there? An hour. Yes. <laughs> and and it was and immediately followed that really heavy conversation right. where they're talking about like you gotta you've gotta kill me if this comes down to it. So again, it's just this this real gravity that is undercut in an effective way, in an in an entertaining way by character based comedy that I find really effective and and yep. I love it. And it's probably my favorite sort of funny line in in the whole piece. I'm sure I'm invisible. So that's my number four. <laughs> <laughs> Ian, what's your number three? Uh, my number three is uh, after after all the Wakandan uh, chanting and building up and morale boosting, all the he bummed back. Just uh, the battle is going to be joined, and T'Challa oh, cries I've, out, I, "I've got this." Wakanda I feel forever! so bad. I've got this higher. <laughs> oh you, no! Reed. Wait a minute. Wait. wait a minute. Maybe I don't. So if you're about I to do. talk about, I do. I just uh, wasn't going to be a jerk. Uh, well, wow! You're just gonna let me do no, it? No, no. I just mean I felt bad because Ian's the only one we've we've said no, no. You wait. Like no, the, the, the drum card. No, yeah. he will get he will get his moments. But I will say. So, are you about to talk about the Wakandans, or are you going to talk about the the arrival? The arrival? Uh, the Wakandans. Then go ahead. I'm, I don't I'm have that talk moment. About the Wakandans, though. Oh well, never mind. Yeah, then. Then, then he's got I'm it. The- I'm the nebula of this triad here. Like, <laughs> we just, just got you stretched I'm out. I'm just levitated no, right now. <laughs> <laughs> Don't do it. It hurts so much. Stop doing this, please. <laughs> Ian's like, a it's nerdy fine. but it's hilarious fine. comment. <laughs> it's like a perfect, perfect oh. melding there. So, sorry, okay. Ian. Sorry, that's Ian. What hey. you're, that's what you're here for, though, is, you yeah. know. You're, you're, I, you're what make it happen. Day. Not yet. <laughs> <laughs> Hold on, pause. <laughs> All right, so so we'll go we'll go to you, Nathan. Uh, Ian, I promise we'll come this back. This is for three. Yes, for your yeah. third. Yeah. Well, mine is Cap at the train station. I don't know where yours is for that. Uh, that's your number three. Yeah. Okay, it is my number three as well. Okay. So why don't we well, take a, do a pause? Yeah, yeah. So Ian, you get the you get the you first better, opportunity you to talk have been about worth the weight, brother. <laughs> <laughs> so so this is my number three as well. Ian, take it away. It was your number I'll, five, and we skipped I'll, you. I'll split the difference. It's just it's mag- <laughs> it's magnificent because when you see the figure cloak in the shadows, you know it's Cap. Okay, yeah. like you're, you're like that's yeah. process elimination. You know who it is, and yet nevertheless, when he emerges from the shadows, your heart just sings at it. I that's awesome. I told awesome. you guys every time I watch this, I feel palpable relief. I mm-hmm. I. I go, yes! I feel like... I mean, he's the star-spangled man with the plan. He's going to take care of him. What is... <laughs> but that's the amazing part. Like, if you think about it, you're telling me that Steve Rogers is the man we need and not Vision, the super-powered android with an infinity stone in his head, or Scarlet mm. Witch, with the power to hex reality with, <laughs> with like, um, uh, probability and, and uh, uncertainty. The man we need is Steve Rogers, and it is. It is, super because soldier. we need... We need the best man to show yeah. up and and mm-hmm. and and clear and clear the decks. It it feels to me like the Marvel equivalent of being in Minas Tirith, 
and the orcs are coming through the gate, and then you're <laughs> and then you and then you look and and the helmets of the Rohirrim are just shining yeah. in the golden sunlight of the dawn. At, like awesome. oh man, it's it's. Uh, I mean, he does have golden hair. Let, you know, it's beautiful. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, I, I have such just wonderful memories around <laughs> not my life, but media. <laughs> um, <laughs> but this is where they kind of this is where they coalesce. My children, <laughs> when, right, right. No, it's about my kids. So watching this in the theater, um, and this is self-congratulatory, yes. But watching this in the theater, when Chris Evans as Bearded Cap steps out of the shadows, my kids both went, he looks like you, he looks just like you. Oh, it was just, that's a moment was, right there. It was amazing. Yeah. And you, know, and you felt it, a little uh, bit better about that casting decision from nine years before. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, I'll let it. I'll let it go. You know, it's uh, all right. Kevin, awesome. Kevin Feige, you're you tops in the I'll, book. I'll let you have this one, Evans. Well, yeah, yeah. <laughs> me and you, bro. Me and you. Um, <laughs> but it's also, you know, I, I referenced this a few minutes ago. But it's like it's such a great in terms of the film craft. Like, you know, I know. Well, I'm not going to get into Scorsese discussion, but talking about pop, <gasps> pop culture, right? Like, like pop media. And Mm -hmm. pop art is what I'm grasping for there. Like, you know, few, few will put this on a shelf next to, um, you know, (laughs) my God, I can't even think of the movie I'm trying to think of right now because I'm so (laughs) buried in the MCU. What's Rosebud? What's the daggum Rosebud? (laughs) (laughs) You know, no one's going to be like, oh, Infinity War is next to Citizen Kane. But, um, talking about filmmakers who just know their audience like you Mm -hmm. know what we want most right there and and that's it it's a shrouded but but certain on our part that that's what's happening there um it is funny and you mentioned as a throwaway but re-watching infinity war there are only kind of two quibbles i have but i don't care enough to really put a lot of weight on them but one is vision gets taken out like a chump in this film For Easy. a super bot who is known for like extreme intangibility and wild, just sort of capability, he really gets taken out hard. Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, you know, he's uh, he's discovered girls, you know, so he's a big softy now, and uh, he's, really he's a lover, not a fighter. Yeah, you know, his 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 brain is somewhere else. So we should have right. stayed in bed. Yeah, and and Elizabeth Olsen forgot her accent. Um, <laughs> What was that? Um, what was that? That was so. That was that was number three. Okay. I think okay. uh, I mean, you. Uh, I, Reed, neither, you didn't say anything I, about your three. Was but you just, but, I, but you both summarized your thoughts so well that I would just echo them. And I and I don't say that like in in pure deference. It's just like I, I, I. There's no need to simply repeat the same. Yes, that's that's exactly how I feel about it. It's wonderful. Um. So Ian, yeah. What was your number two? Wow. All right. Um. <laughs> <laughs> like My- oh, oh, oh okay. <laughs> It's just, I feel bad. I feel bad. Like it's, it's no, very no, no, it's no. Very, it's it's so noble that you said what you said. I just I can't help it. <laughs> I can't help, can't help but feel bad. Um, my number two is uh the entire uh moment where Thanos is incapacitated by Mantis. They're trying to remove the gauntlet. Sorry, and man. sorry. Wow. Sorry. Well, so so I will say this. I'm just playing this by one, Reed's rules here. <laughs> I know. I know. Um, this one. This one is also my number two. So if Nathan has it higher, we'll wait and discuss it then. But this, the, the moment you just described is also my number two as well. I called it the Titan standoff or the standoff at Titan. Like yeah. um, that entire 
collection. So we can discuss it when we get to it in in uh, Nathan's yeah, list. Yeah. But Nathan, what's what's your number two? Well, my number two is big. You know, circling back around with old brother uh, uh, Better Ray Bill here is um, <laughs> you know evacuate the city, engage all defenses, and get this man a shield. Man a shield. But yeah. that, that whole run, uh, his Wakanda Forever, that standoff, and. I, I just wanted to to call out one moment specifically, and that is the just sort of exultant feeling you get seeing Cap race headlong. Oh, yes. And it's such a it, – this just occurred to me on this most recent rewatch. It's such a callback not just to his formidable running skills in Winter Soldier, but even <laughs> his first Avenger moment on the grenade. It's like he is the one – who is going to make sure he's the first one, you know, that that takes the blow, as it were. And and I just right, yes. That's such a great culminating sort of moment there. No, absolutely. Ian, uh, this was this was your number three or four, I can't remember. So so what uh, do you, what do you have more to say about that? Yeah, what what I love is um the gravity. And what I mean, like it is so grave when uh they see the sheer number of outriders, you know, spilling out. And no matter yeah. what, like some are getting through the the shields, and um, you know they say like this will be the end of Wakanda, and uh, mm. and then someone else says uh, then it'll be the noblest ending in in history. So um, in in the um, uh, bonus uh, like featurettes about like the Battle of Wakanda, you know the the Rousseaus are telling him like okay. When you shout Wakanda forever, this might be the last time anyone ever says that. Yeah. Mm. So, mm. so like thousands of Wakandan warriors echoing Black Panther and just shouting Wakanda forever, and then like charging Ooh. into tens of thousands of outriders. I, I get I get chills every time. Yeah. And and they're following their king, and and like you said, Cap's leading the way, and uh, that's what I love about him him too. Um, do you remember Hawkeye telling him in Age of Ultron, like, Cap, you're no match for him? And uh, Cap's like, thanks, thanks, Barton. Um, <laughs> it's you're just, no match for who? Ultron. Oh, oh okay. When, when, they're in, when they're in Korea. It's just that, like, okay, you can tell me that, but it doesn't matter because I'm the only person yeah. here. So right. if I'm here, I'm going to fight the thing. Like, right. It, well, no, not it, the it, thing. It, He's not in it yet. <laughs> Give it time. <laughs> yeah. It's not, clobber, it's not clobbering time yet. Um, <laughs> Uh, well, and I want to, if if we can, for just a second, and Ian, you're really, I was about to call you Ethan, uh, you're really good <laughs> at this type of verbiage, but what keeps popping into my head describing this scene is that image of Steve and T'Challa standing there on this knoll overlooking this field where it's all about to just get gnarly and how potent and mythic that moment feels like you, you yeah. have, it's funny. There was a comic writer I follow on Twitter, maybe like Kurt B sake or something one time who mm. talked about comics as mythology because they are the one of few mediums that reference themselves as themselves. If that makes any yeah, sense. Yeah. In other words, like totally we're talking about Chris Evans. Cause you know, who Chris Evans is, but the, the iconography, the mythological status and stature of some of these characters raise themselves above mere just sort of whatever, however we describe those in simple terms. But that scene, you know, you, you referenced the Rohirrim a minute ago, like these moments and, and, and I don't, 
you know, maybe, maybe with the subsequent film to this one, and maybe we can get into that a little more when we eventually get to that conversation, but those little flashes of mythic elevation are really yeah, powerful. Yeah, yeah. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. yeah. Um, so at this point, we now each only have our number one to reveal. Um, so what, what I will say is, is if either of us, and I don't think we, I don't think we do, if either of us happen to have the same number one, then we can just have that conversation right away. We'll just know like, oh, well, this is mine as well and whatever. So Ian, reveal your favorite moment in Infinity War. It's, it's a misnomer to call it my favorite cause it, I, it is so heavy, but, um, it's, it's a uh, cap falling to the ground and saying, oh God. Yeah. That's my number one. Yeah. Yeah. No, uh, no, I, I understand. And I think given where this conversation is going to head following all of this frivolity, there'll be plenty of opportunity to, uh, to meditate even further on that. I, I totally agree. Um, Nathan, I think I know what your number one is if I'm following this train of thought correctly. Yeah. I, I, the battle on Titan. Um, I really yeah. pondered this rather heavily. Uh, no surprise. Um, I don't know my kids' names, but I can you know, <laughs> rattle this stuff off. <laughs> um, <laughs> but even for what comes after this scene, and there's one that I wonder if it's Reed's, as exultant as that one is, I felt like this was the most richly motivated sequence. Um, mm. and, in, and felt like, because once the battle on Titan fails, we kind of understand where this is going to land yes. and because right, yeah. one of the things that hadn't really come up in this conversation much, but I want to highlight here is the plotting of this film, P L O T T I N G the plotting mm. of this film, knowing as we've already discussed infinity gauntlet is what we're about here this is the story that's being told knowing if you'd ever read as all of us had the infinity gauntlet series you kind of know like okay a how that story climaxes is the snap mm-hmm. knowing infinity war is at the time of its release part one but having no clue where that film was going to resolve right you're like okay right does whatever comes next film involve the snap? Like does is this whole movie just half of the stone? So, so what I was so impressed with in the architecture of this film is recalling again, that first viewing experience every 10 minutes, there's this pivot of like, Oh my God, Oh my God, Oh my God. Okay. 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 Oh God. Okay. You know, just this, this, this ebb and flow of energy ratchets all the time. That, that that is just sort of all funneled and channeled and distilled into the battle on Titan. Um, not only does it involve one of my favorite images in the entire film, and that is uh, the the explosion of strangers. Um, mm. That I, I just I love it. I became a as in continuing the footnotes here. Jason Aaron's run on Doctor Strange is really great. If it's something you want to look up, go for it. But So I've really grew fond of that character leading up to his inclusion in the MCU. Well, so you got that imagery. Um, I can't remember who else this was further down the line, but the, the weight when they finally are right there, like it is so hard to watch that scene resolve because, because again, once 
And, and, you know, it's even popping into my brain right now. Just that image. Is it Tony or Peter that has the glove off? I mean, it it's, is Peter, uh, Peter, Peter has it off. Yeah. yeah. And, yep. and, yes. and, and then it just, and, and then Quill does what he does. And, and man, that and is a over. rough and heavy, but amazing bit of yes. sort of film craft and choreography. Yeah. 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 And it, it, it has all of the best that this film has to offer in terms of coordination between yes. specific characters abilities and the way that they can truly, they, they each have their own movies, but these powers all come together to to reveal this. And the fact that had it not had the grief moment, which I always had a soft spot for what Quill's experiencing in that sure. moment. Um, but had it not had that, they they would have temporarily succeeded. You know, they would have they would have been able to get it off, do something with it, and, you know, at least incapacitate him for a moment. Um, and, so yeah, it's, it's a powerful scene. Very effective and, scene. Yeah, and, go ahead. And, and, and that's what I think is, um, there's a lot that's fantastic about that sequence. What I love is, uh, it, we, you've mentioned like mythic elevation, Nathan, but what the end of the battle on Titan is about is it's, it's not that like, um, um, it's not, it's not really that Thanos was fated to get the gauntlet back and, and snap. It would have succeeded. What it comes down to is a human with human feelings putting it together like you kill you killed Gamora you mm, killed mm. you killed the woman i love and what i love is tony recognizing what is going on yeah, in, yeah. in yeah. quill's heart and he's like catches it early quill, quill quill we we are we are almost there like he is pleading with him like yeah. don't don't stop it do this later and i again yeah. it, rdj i just completely believe that he's like yelling at this guy like don't sabotage this Yes, and and Quill yes. can't can't not like so. What I wrote down for the scene, I summed it up with, uh, "No, you didn't." You know the way that Thanos, he's again, he's under Mantis's um, control, right? Yeah. And he's like, "I I I had to," and Quill's like, "No, you didn't. No, you didn't." Yeah. And uh, just every everyone sells that scene so perfectly. Tha- yeah. um, Th- Thanos as like grieving, mourning, burdened with destiny. But but shooken up by it at the same time, Quill disbelieving and like not having any of it, you right. know, um, right. and and that wins out over even like the stated like the universe is literally at stake, right? And yeah, but but, but that's yeah. but that's how these things play out, right? When when, when us humans get involved, right? Yeah, like absolutely. it's yeah. it's, well, it's those it's those things it's that turn the sort time. of and maybe we'll we'll spend more time talking about Thanos here in a minute, but having just watched Guardians two very previous to this and how mantis her powers work like you just said read the, the the orchestration of that scene you've, you've mm-hmm. got you've got the battle of wakanda which is great but it's bedlam right it's not yes right it's not orchestrated it's not coordinated it is it's just chaos and war uh what they pull off and almost succeed at at accomplishing on Titan is this masterfully fine tuned, precise bit of, you know, kind of coordinated assault. And Mm -hmm. again, the, the, the Mantis thing in guardians Two, Drax, who we know is just this battle hardened, badass warrior. Her powers put him to sleep with no resistance whatsoever. And to, to see her knowing that that's possible, and to see mm-hmm. her apply that same ability to Thanos and it not succeed 
and and just the the wrestling that happens in that moment it's it is powerful for it's yeah. astonishing when you consider like what you know if you, if, if someone had was just like oh, i'm gonna go i don't know much about mcu i'm gonna watch infinity war <laughs> and and we're all like totally wrapped up on the battle of that. Like, what what are these weird characters <laughs> you know sure but it yeah, all no, works and it just works perfectly yeah um so i guess that only leaves me uh this it's like, I it's knew, like Cap against Thanos in the gauntlet. <laughs> <laughs> I knew going into this list what number one would be. There was never a contender otherwise. It's been my favorite moment since the moment I saw the film. Uh, I almost stopped you earlier, Ian, because I thought you were about to mention it. Uh, Nathan, you mentioned Groot, you know, sort of bringing uh, his his arm to bear and becoming the handle of, of Stormbreaker. And so then that Battle of Wakanda is so like everything is going uh, Titan at this point has uh, I think has not taken place. Uh, the, the battle on Titan, I think is either not taken place or it's already sort of failed, but the important piece, I, th- I think it hasn't taken place yet, but the important piece is at Wakanda, they're losing. You see everybody go down. Um, uh, King T'Challa is overpowered. Uh, Cap is overpowered. Hulkbuster armor is overpowered. Yep. And you've been watching what's been going on up here, but still it doesn't quite connect this until all of a sudden. This makes me so happy. Yeah. <laughs> until all of a sudden you see Rainbow Bridge come Ooh. down and the yep. music changes. Yes. And it's the it's the first moment that they really hit hard that that familiar Avengers theme in yes. the film. It's been touched on earlier in the film, but it's the first time that it really sort of pivots over. And then suddenly you see Stormbreaker come through and lightning just begins to take out tons of these, these, uh, what, the what, what are they called again? Outriders. The outriders. It begins to take out all of these little outriders. And then all of a sudden, he appears on the battlefield in all of his former glory. He is not, uh, you know, force of a star, sc- you know, scorched in the face. He is. Thor, the mighty Thor, once again has arrived, right. and I love what I love so much about the moment. I, I just love the way it all culminates, anyway. But what I love so much about it for that character is that character had never had a moment like that yet in the mm-hmm. rest of the films. He's part of the team. He's sparring with Hulk. He is definitely like one of the strongest, but he had not yet in any of the strongest Avengers Avenger. films. Oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, <was> like no <laughs> point break. So. But, <laughs> But he had he had always been a bit of and when you get to Thor Ragnarok, literally a bit of a joke. Like Thor Ragnarok's a wonderful film, a film I love very much. But Thor had had fully kind of become the comic relief. And what I caught on to this viewing that I had never caught on to before is Banner telling Tony Stark that Thor is dead. Yes, right. and then and then Captain America. Telling uh, when they go and, and connect with um, uh, Rhodes, and he's like, Earth has lost. And this was the line yeah. I could not remember. He Hurt. said, Earth has lost its greatest defender. Yep. And I was like, he's talking about Thor. They all think Thor's dead because they have no idea where he is. And the last time anybody of this troop saw him, he was getting pummeled by Thanos. So everybody thinks Thor is dead. So the, the glory of that moment and the look on Banner's face when yeah, he yes. you know, kicks yeah, the helmet yeah. off is like, oh, you are so screwed now. You know, like yeah. it is it is one of the most 
perfect the hero has arrived moments totally. in all of of the MCU. There are, you know, perhaps greater ones in the film we're not discussing right now, but uh it, up to that point, it is it is one of my favorite like the the hero has arrived. The day is about to be saved. And we know where it goes from there, but man, that moment just stopping I mean, it at was, that moment. It was where, like an electrical charge shot through the room in the movie theater when that yes. happened. Oh, it was amazing. I mean, I, I mean, everybody almost hit their feet in mind. Like they just could not contain themselves with the. And then he runs into the battlefield and he's like, "Bring me Thanos!" Yes, you know, like yep. and he and he rises up in the air, crashes down with the thunder. I see oh you've, my god! Uh, adopted my beard. There. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's it's perfect, and I'm I'm uh, so happy. Early drafts of the script previously gave Captain America the save the day arrival. Uh, early drafts of the of the Infinity War script uh, previously gave that moment to Cap that Steve Rogers would basically stay out of the picture until that moment, and then that that would be. But early on in development, I don't think they ever even filmed anything differently. But early on in development, the Russos decided like, no, this belongs to Thor. Like Thor yeah. needs to have this, and it was it was such a brilliant call, and it's and it's my favorite moment in this movie, and it's one of my top three favorite moments well, in all of MCU. And you start to it. feel it right before. And I don't remember what separates what I'm about to reference from his arrival, but the moment when he is charred from the mm. the force of a star lighting oh. his body up and Groot makes his appendage into the, oh. the handle of Stormbreaker and the, the the sort of just still hand of Thor starts to starts to move with electricity oh mm. it's so great mm. it's so great. it's wonderful yeah so that's my favorite that's <laughs> all my favorite. right was that everybody number that's fine yeah that's all of us my yeah, honorable mention us. i will throw it out here my honorable mention was um cap gripping the gauntlet um mm. yeah right. sure, oh sure, my sure, gosh sure. yes wonderful yes. That, yeah wonderful that has, that has to be that has to be mentioned it absolutely has to because that <laughs> that that, that like i i know but um <laughs> that that for me just is if I try to imagine heroism, that mm. that image to me is just burned into my mind. The kind of hopelessness of it. Just uh, we haven't seen Cap fight so furiously as that. Mm. Like it, mm. it, he is, he has to know in that moment. Like he's going to be overpowered. He's on the verge of it. All that he can right. really do is like showcase. Like you're not getting through me without killing me. But that's it. Yeah. Like, all, it's only a moral victory, and you just—I don't know—him, him screaming and it's silent. You know, oh it's yeah, really, it's really driving home. Like this is inevitable at this point. You are mm. going to lose. I am. So, man, I don't know. Um. Well, uh, we've got we've got a thing we want to uh, come back to, but it feels like the the giant purple titan cannot be ignored as he just lumbers through you know slicing all who would challenge him i feel like it's worth spending a few minutes uh and and i don't have any real concrete thoughts but would welcome you guys of just well i, I guess i'll launch it this way speaking of things that could have gone miserably wrong mm. the execution of thanos not just right not just sort of character development wise, but, but, you know, visually and all this sort of stuff, you've, mm -hmm. you've built this character up for however many years it was between that and the first Avengers film. And that's a giant gamble. 
mm-hmm. um, mm-hmm. that could have failed spectacularly. And yet, sure. and Reed, you, you, I'll, I'll let you take the baton from here in a second, but you, you perfectly phrased it that remarkably, surprisingly, but maybe appropriately, this is Thanos's movie. And yes. yeah, mm-hmm. and it's, I, I remember Brolin even being announced and I was like, eh, I don't know, man, <laughs> I just don't know. And I like Brolin fine. Like that wasn't a slight to his performance. I just had no clue what that would mean. Yeah, yeah, sure. Um, It sounds like casting decisions are fraught for you. Well, I was not. Casting announcements could have been me. I was not, (laughs) you know, kind of calling out to be cast as Thanos. It was more just. It was more just knowing grimace. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. I'm not going to go into my thoughts on Brolin as Thanos. It worked. It's fine. It's perfect. It's excellent. It's great. Um, But uh, you know, I just thought we'd open the door here to um, talk a little bit about you know whether it's the execution of the character, whether it's what the character means and represents, whether it's what makes what you think of in response to the execution of the character. So kind of take it away. Whoever wants to. Um, Well, and I'll, I'll start uh, with acknowledging that there's, there's a a bigger thing than Thanos that I definitely want to give some time to. So being mindful of that, I'll just say in brief, you mentioned earlier, and I had told both of you pre pod that, yeah, this is this structure wise. Thanos is the protagonist of Infinity War. He is, it is his story. It is his goal, his aim. We are uh, inclined not to accept things that way or not to think of things that way because he's the villain to the rest of our heroes. But I think it's remarkable. Like it's his goal that is ultimately achieved and accomplished at the end of Infinity War. Um, He is also uh, the name when the credits are done. It says Thanos will return. Um, and, uh, and I feel like that was wise of the Russos and of the MCU as a whole, uh, to, uh, pivot him that way and to position him as the driving force behind it, because it, it, we've all speculated before we got into it, like, okay, yeah, how is this going to end? Is it going to end like, okay, they stop him, but there's some lingering threads of some problems or whatever. Mm-hmm. The fact that they made the decision to go ahead and let him succeed was was only half the battle because the other half of the battle is they had to take the time to understand why he did it mm, and right. i don't want to i don't want to spend a bunch of time unpacking like you know the the rationale behind what he's wanting to do but i will say pretty definitively they established that this character has in his mind good reasons for doing what he's about to do in his mind I believe that this is not just maniacal laugh, you know, right. mustache twirling villain. He believes passionately and has prepared himself to go execute this thing that he wants to see done, right. which makes it all the more devastating. And and it's it's powerful. Something that I contended with for a while of adding to my list and didn't is the moment when uh, Scarlet Witch like destroys uh the stone oh, in oh yeah. vision's That's head rough but yeah. specifically the moment is thanos's reaction to her he's not furious he's not mad he is downright compassionate yeah. towards her and says like you know this is no time for mourning this is no time at all yeah and the peace that that villainous character has arrived at in that moment is staggering. And so then when he accomplishes what he accomplishes, and then we begin to see 
the characters dust away. It's such an earned moment. It's such an earned and effective piece of storytelling that because we have spent so much time with Thanos. That's uh yeah, that's my piece on that. I think what's one of the things that's really remarkable about that scene in particular, and I, you've already said a lot of like the substance of what needs to be said about Thanos, but that scene in particular, it complicates things in the following way. You know, like uh, Wanda has just ended Vision, and you're you're right. There, like, there's no guile in Thanos when he kind of like touches her hair and and says, "I know." what that feels like. Right. And she says, right. she says, you could never know. And actually she's wrong. Now, right. now he does know. Right. That's, and that's the thing. Like you can, you can know that how this person is going about this thing is wrong. You can know that it is morally not the answer. And yet you can be wrong about that person all the same. That's, that's right. the remarkable complexity about a moment like that. It's like, well, actually right. Wanda Wanda, you don't know. You don't know the fact that actually, yes, he's very well acquainted with exactly what you're feeling. Sure. Um, yes. But but that doesn't make what he's doing right. Correct. I, I, right. I, I feel I feel like we feel attention perhaps with that, like like we want to take seriously, like oh well, maybe he's onto something, and like he he's not. He's not. He has Mm-mm. to be stopped. Mm-mm. But right. he's also completely telling the truth right now, and and like you said, like that's a real moment where he's trying to. Be compassionate, like you said, and, and right. that mm-hmm. that that level of complexity in in the villain is so difficult to pull off, and it's not seen much. No, no, absolutely. Well, and and read um, the way you sort of framed that that I think is so um, fascinating. Again, I've mentioned the film craft a couple times. It it is not the Avengers versus Thanos. It is Thanos versus the Avengers. Yes, yes, and absolutely. Yep. We are just not used to that shell in our superheroic mm-hmm. storytelling or even our, you know, just mm-hmm. our heroic storytelling period. And so mm-hmm. when I I remember how mainly because my children were weeping at the Gamora death, mm. that moment when he turns around and as a astute, you know, kind of mature viewer, you're like, oh, oh my God yeah and you're like um i know what is happening right now and i'm feeling a thing for this character you know it's like really Mm. powerful storytelling in that moment absolutely Um, yeah absolutely and and so do we well all i was gonna say is like two just that wouldn't have been honorable mentions but wanda and scarlet witch have come i'm sorry wanda and vision have come up It, it hit me in a real profound way his line to her right there at the end we are out, oh, we are out of time. Mm. It's not mm-hmm. fair. It shouldn't be you, but it is. You can never yes. hurt me. What a, oh my gosh. Yep. Um, mm. And then just as a last note before we pivot where you're heading, Reed, is the did you do it scene. Did you do it? Yeah. What did it mm. cost? Everything. Yeah. Everything. I mean, goodness yep. gracious. Yeah. That is profound. It truly is. It truly is. Um so we as you know we're we're not about to end in the next 3 minutes or anything but as we as we round the corner for the conclusion of this conversation um we we kind of all thoughtfully intentionally held back you know the snap heard round the world uh to this moment and i think one of the things that 
I'm, I'm going to talk for just a second about my experience of the year between Infinity War and Endgame, if you'll permit me a couple of minutes to do so. One of the things that I found um, frustrating only for a moment is when everybody sort of dusted, I heard a few people in various little film groups talk about uh, Infinity War and the conclusion of Infinity War as if it were some version of lazy writing. And their their basic premise, which I'm not going to give too much credibility to that, um, their basic premise, as I can fairly assess it, was saying, I mean, Black Panther 2, because King T'Challa was one of the ones dusted, it's like, well, Black Panther 2 has been announced, and the future Spider-Man movie has been announced, so we know they're all going to come back. And I can remember feeling in that moment where you're saying, oh, so as long as it's all going to be okay, pain is is not important, mm-hmm. or that this sort of momentary devastation is not important. And I remember... So many times in the year in between Infinity War and Endgame, sitting here thinking what, a, and this is going to sound weird, but this is the listeners who have heard us for a long time. If you're just joining us because we're talking about Infinity War, okay, well, welcome, welcome to the party. Yes, welcome to the party. Uh, listeners who have listened to me for a long time probably have some finger on the pulse of this is just the way my mind works. I began to think, weird as it sounds, what a profound gift it was that we get to sit for a moment in the literal ashes of loss and confusion and uncertainty. And there may be people who are like, well, I don't, I don't give superhero movies that much time in my heart and imagination. That's fine. I'm not saying you have to. I do. And this is how it hit me is because I was sitting there thinking, wow, yes, there is probably a really good chance that an end game all will be made right. But I don't know how. And I do not see the path forward. So all I'm left with right now is to your list uh, entry, Ian, Cap sitting on the ground going, oh, God, Mm -hmm. like that's that's all I'm left with. And so naturally, I'm, you know, thinking of spiritually minded moments and biblically minded moments and all of these different things that sort of sat with me like this is this is what this is what hurts. This is what's hard. We can ideologically know it's all going to be okay. And that may bring us any varying degree of comfort, but we too little reflect on, and I've, I've said this in different contexts before, but I think it quite often. When people rattle off stories from the Bible or stories from culture or from history, we forget that people in the midst of the story did not know how the story was going to end. We forget when we talk uh, rather passively about the three Hebrew children being thrust into the fiery furnace that they did not know that they were going to make it back out. Daniel did not know he was going to emerge from the lion's den. Like They they did not know these things. They are experiencing the story as it happened. And in that same degree, we sit in a place like Wakanda and watch all of that devastation and they did not they didn't know i mean the look on tony's face after spider-man has disintegrated mm-hmm. in his arms yep they didn't know for them this is it like <laughs> that's silly that my ear just fell off um <laughs> like <laughs> talk about undercutting the gravity of the conversation listeners are but, really concerned for you right now <laughs> <laughs> but like for for them that's the that's the end of the story that's that's the or at least that's the moment that they're left with. And so for myself, it was such a gift to me in that year to sit there and go all of the places in my life that are in between 
these spaces where something has happened, and 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 I don't want to be too glib or too you know forcibly, uh, you know momentarily relevant, but like we're sitting in one right now where like things things are happening, and we don't know the ending, and we don't know the outcome, and we don't know how things are going to be made right, but. What a powerful metaphor to me to sit there in that moment and just be with those characters and feel that grief and feel that pain. And I considered it a blessing let me, to have that moment to think about it. Let me throw it. something ahead. in here. And, and Ian, I apologize if you're sitting on some stuff, but it, it's more an a insertion than a profound statement. But yeah, one please, please. is um, I am going to steal an ETH and <laughs> I almost did it again. <laughs> uh, an Ian word here and reference uh, what you've already alluded to, Reed, and, and call it psalmic that. Cap, mm. Cap, What one thing I find beautiful about the scripting of that moment is he does not say our colloquialism, oh my God. Mm-hmm. He says, mm. oh God. Yeah. And mm. it's, it's, mm. it's revelation and lament all wrapped up in one and it's devastation. Uh, and, yes. and this will, th- this is not closing the door whatsoever on the movie, but it is pulling the curtain back on the big why I talked about, I referenced at the top of the conversation and that's, you know, if you've listened to the fear of God long, you kind of know where some of the places these conversations can go and where we reach for and read just without naming it, reference this moment we're in and we'll, we'll blow this up. You know, we are recording this in the middle of, uh, six weeks in to depending on where you're at, uh, uh, on the globe, maybe it's even longer. Um, this sort of lockdown, quarantine, whatever we're shelter in place, however we want to describe it. And, and, and so much of, I remember conversations at the front end with colleagues who are like, oh, it's going to be one or two weeks. I'm like, I, I just don't know that that's true. And this, this moment that we hadn't gotten to yet. And many have still not of saying, Oh God. Yeah. And and wrestling truly through the corporate sorrow and grief and pain that is taking place if you would just open your eyes. And and so I had approached Reed to again fill in a little backstory here. I had approached Reed, I was like, what you know, how do we engage this? And and Reed had been circulating on some ideas and, and we won't go to the specific of that yet, but at the same time of me pondering this, I was listening Again, listeners, if you're with us, one episode, you know, I reference Richard Rohr a lot. And there's a recent episode of his on uh, another name for everything where he talks about this experience we're having as a global initiation. And Rohr had done a lot of work in the early 90s on cultures and their initiation processes. And there's five tenants I'm going to throw here because they're as applicable to us as they are to the Avengers. And these five tenants, and we're going to leave them there as concepts, although talk about some of this more is one, life is hard. Two, you are not that important. Mm. Three, your life is not about you. Four, Mm. you are not in control. And five, you are going to die. Mm -hmm. And I was mowing the grass when I was listening to this and I was so arrested with just that sobriety and you know, Reed and I talk a lot on the show about not being reckless and, and, and that being a big deal, but also now wrestling with the very real truth of the ephemeral nature of our biological life. Um, 
And, and so I still remember Reed, like I, I, I pitched to you. I was like, dude, what if we, what if we use infinity war as the launch pad for some conversation long-term about grief and sorrow mm-hmm. and pain and loss. And, and I'm, I'm reminded of our pet cemetery conversation where we talked about not, not rushing to triumph. I think, I think it was that right. conversation yes. yep. mm-hmm. and how much this colleague of mine six weeks ago. And so much, I mean, gosh, there's probably a, a half of America still, if not more of, uh, if not around the globe, but half of us are still like, no, it's, it's just a thing. It's going to get past us and we're going to move on to business as usual. And how in error as humans, we would be to adopt that position. So that's where all this has come from. And, and I've talked a lot, but I wanted to put that final puzzle piece in place for whatever may remain of conversation. Um, but that, that is kind of where we're heading in the next weeks. Ian, do you have any thoughts kind of relative to all of this? Yeah, I, I, I do. I, um, Roar's um, talking about, you know, initiation and, and summarizing in those five points. I think that a lot of people would, um, you know, describe that as being um, destabilizing. And I don't think that that's incorrect, really. But what I think the deeper truth about it is, is that the world is already, if, if you actually listen to what these five, you know, primary points are, the world is already fundamentally unstable. Hmm. A lot, a, a lot of the order that we perceive in our lives is arbitrary and papers over those cracks. Yes. We try to live in denial of right. the right. of the disorder that is like not just prevalent. I mean, definitive of our existence, and that's why you know, read I. Um, you know, if it was John Piper saying that this ending to Infinity War was a blessing, I'd say, dude, get out of here. We don't need that. But you're not John. But, but, but. And I don't know what new people we just lost, but I'm okay with it. <laughs> <laughs> but, there, that, but that's because there's a world of difference between what he's saying, which right. is essentially like, you know, like uh, hug the cactus, you know, like get the, get the, get the talons deep in you. And, yeah. and what you're saying, which is like, the talons are already deep in you. The 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 cactus is already attached. Um, yeah. it, um comfort is good um, when it's um, rooted in something real. There's all mm. sorts of bo- there's all sorts of bogus comforts. There's anesthetics that we talked about in the doctor sleep conversation. So like it's not right. like all comfort is good, right? Right. There are comforts that um, paper over uh, the uh, unstable universe and 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 let us chug along on merely biological life telling ourselves assuring ourselves everything's fine everything is essentially predictable and uh, and this is fundamentally about you mm-hmm. in talking about this like it's just that i want to say i want to say no to a type of school of faith that that says like it's not about you like because there's only a way there's only a relative way in which that's true. Like right. in a, in a very real sense, it's not. And the way to genuine substantive freedom is in recognizing the truth of it. It's just that by accepting that truth, you're not thereby saying you're not important or you play no part or you're insignificant. That's not true either. It's just that 
you are not the emperor of what is. What mm. is, what is doesn't orbit your consumer desires or your need to carve out some kind of predictability to the universe. The universe will bite back and things are not the way they're supposed to be. And I, I feel like, um, Nathan mentioned it before, but what Vision says to Wanda, like, it's not fair. Yeah. I feel like that's the banner over Infinity War in a way. Like, what what does it have to tell us is, like, this isn't fair, but this is the way it is. And and it's, I don't know, I just, I love that Vision is trying to comfort her in saying it. And and that's what I want any listener to hear, too. Like, this isn't just um, Thanos, Thanos worships Will, right? That's that's yeah, what he talks about right. the most, right? I'm the only one with the will to see through the hard thing. It's not about will. Your will will fail you. Um, you you only have to look at every last New Year's resolution to know that your will will fail you. Um, and Vision isn't kind of like rubbing her face in how this isn't fair, but it's the way it is. It's just that we can keep talking about a better way for this to be. But we have to grapple with the way this is if we're going to do anything that means right, anything. Right. Well, I think I, think I feel like uh, that's I'm, the banner I'm, over this film. Yeah, and and what's just just popping off in my brain is this: our impulse, and listeners may feel it, but the three of us, our impulse is what to rush to Endgame. Yes. Yeah. Oh, yeah. But we can't. Mm-hmm. And no. mm-hmm. and and that is. That is the truth of faith. You yes. you don't get to, as as the phrase you used, Ian, of paper over this. And mm-hmm. and honestly, and this is this is not a thing I have fully apprehended. So I, I speak it more confidently than I feel it. Honestly, to your language, Reed, what a gift to know mm-hmm. you are not in control and you will die. Because, mm-hmm. without rushing to triumph, but it 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 kind of it's that sort of cease striving mentality, and I I think applying some of these principles real big mythologically to the film Infinity War is dread it, run from it. It's yep. it will find mm-hmm. it finds them, and and it doesn't mean. I don't want to get so granular like, oh, should they have not fought against it? That's not the point. The point is that's not the point. Once they fail on Titan, they fail. And mm-hmm. and what a powerful bit of storytelling, what a powerful bit, what a powerful teaching moment, which is a dumb phrase, but is what came to me. Like it it is we we would do well and be wiser for it to adopt and learn and grow and recognize it is in failure that we must sort of live. Yeah. I don't know. That, yeah. Yes. That makes yes. Any well, sense. because you cannot, the, the difficulty that we have and you can feel it in the way people are talking about the present moment we're in the, the, we have culturally speaking, and I'll speak as well. What my view of the church by and large I would say this about as well. We have lost the framework for how to grieve. Mm-hmm. We we don't know how to do it. 
Um, so we just don't. Sorry. So we, ju- I mean, well, that's the thing. So it, I mean, I, I think you're being kind of a little jokey there, but we no, just, we don't. Yeah. No. Yeah. We, what we do instead is again, just try to placate it and try to, in the language that keeps coming up, try to paper over it and try to just say like, well, yeah, but, uh, but you know, in, in all things, you know, what it reminds me of, and I think I may have brought this up in, in different com- contexts on this show before, but it reminds me of one of my favorite passages in scripture is John chapter 11, when Lazarus has died. And when Jesus gets there, um, I love the differences between the way Mary and Martha respond to him. Because Martha, when when Martha responds to him, she goes and she tells him, you know, like, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. And then Jesus says back to her, your, your brother will live again. And then she says this remarkable thing because she says, like, yes, yes, I, I know in the end, in the last days, he will he will be resurrected. So it's this, in, in the context of this conversation, it's this very sort of passive, like, push off the feelings of right now. And it's this very sort of momentary of, of, of like, yeah, 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 yeah. I, I know everything's going to be okay. Uh, better farther on and, and everything's going to be okay. One of my difficulties that I've struggled with in the, in the context of the current moment we're in is trying to actively, well, what has come to light about myself is that I really don't fear ultimate ends. What I fear is, I've said it this way before, I'm not worried everything's eventually going to be okay. I know it probably will be. I'm worried about how long it's going to take and how much it's going to hurt. And, th- and my fear of that has surprised me mm. at how how mm. crippled I am by just simply not knowing how long this is going to take or how much it's going to hurt. And yeah. those are the things, those are the uncertainties, and those are the places that I feel like we've lost as people of faith, we've lost the language to really navigate that space of, well, this this is indefinite. You don't know the the ending of it. You don't know sort of the the timetable on it. I I mean, yeah, sure. If somebody could come down and they could say like, hey, so this is going to affect you in these negative ways and it's going to last for four months and then you're going to be over and done with it. I mean, like, how easy is that? Okay, fine, great. Well, then it's going to be just this amount of time. But the things come to our life that we just don't know. We, we don't know exactly how long it's going to take or how much it's going to hurt. And so that's the part where I feel like we owe ourselves the opportunity to sit as the disciples did when Jesus died. Mm-hmm. Because despite the fact that he had told them X amount of times, like, I'm going to die and then I'm going to rise again. But now he's dead. Now he's gone. And so it, it, again, we're, we're mirroring all of these thoughts into the language of infinity war, but then you get Dr. Strange sitting there saying, this was the only way, like this was it. And we right, knew yes. when we saw infinity war, we knew he had already told Tony, if it comes down to saving you or the time stone, I'm not giving up the time stone. I won't hesitate. So when he pauses and stops Thanos from taking out Tony, we know something's up. We don't know what. We know something's up, and we ourselves in our own life, I, I love so much Richard Rohr's guidelines there, but we we know so much in our own life, uh, if we were to stop for a minute, how much time we spend in denial of mm. difficult realities. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And how yes. long we spend simply trying to placate them and to push them aside and to not sit in them and to yeah. not just pause for a minute. Because I can sit here in this conversation and say, I know ultimately all will be made right. I believe that to the depths of my spirit, but I do not know what dust will pile up from what I previously loved before we get there. Yeah. 
And that's the part, that's the part that hurts. And that's the part that for me, it's not just about, oh, okay, great, I know another movie's coming. This was a moment for me to sit and to say, they're gone. Right now they're gone. And what does that mean to me for my own context in, in looking around at loss and in looking around at potential grief? And as Thanos said over Thor early on, like to be so convinced that you're right and to lose mm-hmm. anyway. Yeah. And uh, it's something we all must face. It's a passage we all must transition through in some context at some point in our lives. And faith can be very helpful to that. And we so rarely take the opportunity to allow it to do that work in us. Uh, we don't lament uh, as, as we so frequently could or should. And we've, we've just forgotten how. Yeah. Um, Reed, if I can, I'll, I'll, I'll try to be really brief, but what I'm thinking of as you're saying all this is like, yes and amen. And I think of, how I've been alarmed by some like public Christians in the last few weeks who kind of disparage the, um, the cost in lives uh, mm. due to COVID mm. uh, using the logic of like ultimate ends. And um, I think there's something to like talking about how like pie in the sky hope can make you oblivious to what's around you. And it's not because mm. I'm trying to, di- I'm not trying to disparage um the reality and the hope of 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 existence beyond the sphere of our time and place in 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 current fallen conditions. I'm not trying to disparage right. that. What I'm trying to say is that if you are a Christian, what you ought to like hold on to and affirm is that life is good. Mm. Life, not and not just the the um, qualitatively different kind of life um, that is yet to come. The life that you and others have right now is a mm. gift and and is good and is to be protected. It's not something to be glibly tossed off as like, well, it, it, that could be an expenditure and uh, well, that might be mm. lost, but, but oh, well, and I've been alarmed by hearing like some high profile Christians speak about it that right, way. Right. When like, that's the horror of, as you invoke the crucifixion or the horror of, I mean, a prophet being sawed in half. It's because that is bad. It's because mm-hmm. death is bad. Mm-hmm. Um, and it is not just automatically like brushed aside or made okay because one day this, like th- that might be your only anchor sometimes in the darkest moments. Right. But you, ca- right. you can, you cannot just pretend that your, th- your three score years and 10 or anyone else's are not actually that important. Um, be- mm-hmm. because, because one day, dot, 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 this matters too. And the loss of now, um, this is no time. Th- when that becomes real for some people, that wow. is a tragedy and that is devastating. Well, mm-hmm. and, and Ian, I'm going to surprise you here. Something you said, if, if listeners are new because of Avengers and Infinity War and like, who are these guys? Um, Ian shows up semi-routinely, notably on our quarterly Kings and occasionally otherwise, but, uh, you, you've made a couple comments over the years that have really kind of reverberated through my spirit. And one of those that you just repackaged here is the phrase, the gift of your life. And I don't remember what conversation it was, but, but it really just, just registered hard for me the time I heard it, uh, in conversation with you and, and man, what a, 
what a necessary truth. Um, this is not a thing to be considered lightly, to be taken for granted, and thus neither are others. Right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, we d- uh, we don't trade lives. We don't. Oh man! Wow. We don't trade yeah. lives, and yes, and yet so many of us are kind of willing to. Uh, yep. and, and I think that is, uh, where we on the fear of God are trying to rest in the coming months is that we consider it a gift and do not mm-hmm. trade lives. And Amen. as best we will are able to, we celebrate that even mm-hmm. in its failing and frailties, even in its ultimate loss, um, that we don't neglect the moment in favor of a, as the phrase has been used, pie in the sky, far flung future. The moment right. is here and the moment is now and, and your life is a gift and, and, and we celebrate and honor that and kind of revel in that and, and want to really dwell there. And, and, you know, if, if I can pivot to you read here, I did in the spirit of kind of a wrap up here. Um, yeah. <laughs> you know this this is the fear of god's take on infinity war y'all this is how it rolls like we, <laughs> we don't rush to end game uh we live right. here and um read if you'll kind of wade into the shallows just a tiny bit to kind of outline a little of of sure. what's to come uh, and then we can kind of head towards head towards home absolutely so this is uh in infinity war is sort of the prelude to the next sort of run of series that we're going to be doing um and obviously this show began as a uh sort of a cursory examination of the horror genre and faith and has evolved into what we say every episode and that is examining what scares us in order to find what saves us mm. and so that does not necessarily restrict itself exclusively to the horror genre. Um, and uh, and so what we're doing over the course of the next uh, several weeks um, with some breaks in between is we're going to be examining a TV show. It's an HBO uh, funded and produced TV show called The Leftovers. You've heard Nathan and I reference this several times uh, previously and, and our affection for the show. It is a show about, and it's all three seasons are available. Uh, if you have HBO, it's available there or to purchase elsewhere. Um, but, uh, it's a show uh, that presumes in its premise that a rapture of sorts has taken place, that a, a fraction of the population is inexplicably gone. And the leftovers, as the title would imply, sort of lingers with the people who are left and, and how they navigate that and how they cope with that. And we felt that it would be an appropriate moment to sort of examine that conversation. And that's why right now, as Nathan said a couple of times now, we do not rush to end game. We are going to sit in this infinity war pause, as you will, in the, in the pause of this snap. And we're going to spend some, some weeks looking at each season of the leftovers and examining some films in the same context. Now there are going to be three phases of this because there are three seasons of leftovers. I'll only mention uh, in a superficial way, what phase two and three are going to look like. We'll substantiate them more as they come. But this next phase that we're entering into, we'll be examining season one of the leftovers. And it's also going to take an opportunity to examine Uh, What I will just simply say are ghost stories, because so many times ghost stories provide us with this opportunity to reflect on what is gone 
but not totally gone. Um, there's this, there's this remnant and the and remnant, the word remnant is a, is a, a vital word to season one of the leftovers, which you'll see if you haven't seen it already or know if you have, um, that, that remnant that's left over, that residue, if you will, is what we're going to spend some time uh, meditating on and discussing. Um, you know, we're we're obviously, as we have in this conversation, we're going to have a lot of fun, uh, but we are also going to allow ourselves a moment to truly sit in that pocket and reflect on that degree of loss. Um, so we're going to be examining uh, the, this next phase is going to be hashtag remnant. It's going to be looking at four films, and as we've done with hashtag TV guideposts before, we'll be looking at a couple of episodes of The Leftovers each uh, episode. So if you're wanting to prepare and follow along with this series, you need to check out four films. Uh, you need to check out A Ghost Story, which is the Casey Affleck starring David Lowry film from not that long ago, just a couple years ago. A Ghost Story. The 1980 film starring George C. Scott called The Changeling. Also... Uh, a the a, one of the rare uh, I, I actually don't have the director's name in front of me, but one of the rare, if not the only uh, Persian horror film. Uh, it's called Under the Shadow. We'll be looking at that, and then also the 1999 film starring Kevin Bacon called Stir of Echoes. Uh, we're going to be looking at those four films and season one of The Leftovers. Uh, phase two will bleed into subjects more about apocalypse and what it reveals to us. We'll tell more, tell more about that when we get there. And then phase three, we'll be looking at elements of, uh, kind of, uh, closure and, and basically looking at the ways that, uh, trauma and, and grief can kind of become, uh, a, a way through which to see ultimate endings for us, a way through which we can process where we are ultimately headed, and as we've talked about in this conversation, how long it may take us to get there. So that is what this is the prelude for. It's B-sides. Hopefully, this, we've had a lot of fun in this conversation. Um, we've also touched on some very weighty and heavy things, but that is what you are in store for for at least the next five weeks um, as we enter into season one of The Leftovers and those four films that I mentioned. So we, we, we invite you to join along with us in that journey. We, we certainly hope you will Reed, Thank you so much for unpacking that for us. I am both, uh, you know, um, hesitant and excited to, to <laughs> wade into those waters, uh, especially in the context of the greater world we're inhabiting right now. And, mm. um, I would be remiss not to say, Ian, thank you for being here, brother. Thanks so and, much. And, uh, helping us with joy, unpack, um, our, our love for the Avengers and with heaviness of heart, uh, examining our residing in the ashes for a bit. Yes. Um, it's, it's an honor to go down in the fight with you. <laughs> yeah. Ibambe. Yeah, it's been good brother. to have you. Ibambe. <laughs> Ibambe. Um, <laughs> listeners, that is it for the infinity yeah. war um we are not going to rank this as we typically would we are going to awkwardly sign off here um yes. reed thank you for your time ian thank you for your time listeners we love you three thousand and that's about as much as oh. we'll touch that right now but we will see you next week when yes. we unpack the film what was it reed do we know what part one is Next next week, we are going to start with David Lowry's film, A Ghost Story. A Ghost Story, Story so, and episodes one and two of Leftovers. Of the season Leftovers, one. absolutely. That was very exciting. Yes. We will see you next week, everyone. Bye, everybody.
Ian. Reed. Nathan. Will return.